Welcome in, and we're back with another edition of our little movie show. We love reviewing those flicks, those films, the cinema of the 80s, the 90s, and more. It is We've Seen That. We are We've Seen That on social media via Twitter, via Instagram, via Facebook, however you found the show, social media link. Or if you, uh, if you can, you should be subscribing via Apple Podcast, on Google Podcast, on Spotify. If you found us through TuneIn, uh, the show's now updating on our feed on TuneIn's podcast as well. Welcome, welcome, as we're ready to review a fun, a third in a, in a series of movies, a, a movie that's in, enjoying another 25th anniversary. We're looking forward to dying and dying hard, and dying hard with a vengeance here on this show. I am TJ Reeves. I'm based in West Central Florida. He is the famous J.J. Betzel. He is in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Good to be back with you, partner, hanging out here. Uh, Again, another 25th anniversary here from 1995 at the time we're taping. It's crazy what a good year 1995 was, a good year 1990 was, good year 2000 was. <laughs> Looking back at the movies that used to come out this time of year, they're, they're all good movies compared to what we have at the moment. Yeah, absolutely, because we're still operating, obviously, in the present day here in 2020 under a coronavirus lockdown uh, that has, has started from mid-March of 2020 and has now extended on into the summer and extended right into the time frame when this movie was released 25 years ago. Um, and so again, as you were saying, it's a good time, it's a good this. Their slogan always is, it's a good day to die hard with these movies, with the Bruce Willis movie. So it fits right in, Jay Betzel, that it's a good day to die hard on these. Darn right. All right, so we're anxious to get into the movie. I should tell you up front, we got a special guest who's going to join us in a bit. My buddy Dan Leach. He's a radio buddy of mine, as I have a big sports background. Jay does as well, do sports media. Dan is with the FM Sports Talk Station 97.1, the ticket in Detroit. But we're not here to talk Red Wings, Pistons, Tigers, Detroit Lions, Jay Betzel, when we get Dan Leach on the show. He's a humongous 80s and 90s movies fan, and in particular, this series, this chain. I'm looking forward to hearing from Dan Leach about Die Hard with a Vengeance. And in particular, little tease, Dan and you and I are going to discuss an alternate ending to this movie, my friend, later on. they, they got to be with us later on here in the podcast. Keep listening on, to the podcast. So the, the cables in the helicopter don't in, feature in this ending? The, the cables in the helicopter are the ending that was used, but there's a whole nother ending that was shot and then was not used. And so we will be discussing that. Oh, the that. plot thickens. Yeah, very much so. Very nice on that. Let's get to what we do here. Let's kick it off and talk all about... The third in the series of movies, these mega movies that made hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars each, it's Die Hard with a Vengeance. In the hands of a mastermind of terror. I want to play a game with Lieutenant McLean. What kind of game? Simon Says. The path to revenge lead straight to John McLean. If we don't do what this guy says, he's going to blow up another public place. Why me? What has he got to do with me? I have no idea. He just said it had to be you. It's nice to be needed. Simon says, get to the paper in Wall Street Station by 10.20, or the number three train and its passengers vaporize. I'm not jumping through hoops for some psycho. That's a white man with white problems. You deal with it. Where the hell are you going, McLean? I know what I'm doing. 
what you're doing. This guy wants to pound on you till you crumble. Are you aiming for these people? No. Well, maybe that mime. He wants you to dance to his tune and then kill you. Oh, dear. You're late because I'm white. I don't like you because you're going to get me killed. Ah! On May 19th. This is a bad idea. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm a New York police officer. I'm going to ask you to calmly and quietly start moving towards the other end of the car. When the theater goes dark. Trust me, guys. Duck. The roof blows off. God, they're setting off bombs. And for some reason, he's very angry with me. <laughs> this, as they say, is where the plot thickens. They knocked over the Federal Reserve. Bruce Willis, Jeremy Irons, Samuel L. Jackson. Congratulations, you're still alive. Yippee-ki-yay, mother... In a John McTiernan film, Die Hard with a Vengeance. John McClane, NYPD. Are you all right? Yes. Laundry day. Die Hard with a Vengeance, it opened... In May of 1995, May 19th to be exact, it opened numero uno. It grossed $22.2 million, and it dethroned the number one movie the week before was Crimson Tide. Wow. That might be a fun one for us to talk about sometime. Man, the month— Denzel Gene Hackman, the, Tony Scott. The month of May was rolling along, and yes, Crimson Tide loved, loved that one uh, as well. Another 25th anniversary, but— you knew there. I remember the buildup for this. You knew America was going to go nuts around Memorial Day weekend, traditional great weekend to release movies for the third in this series because of how big a star Bruce Willis is, right, Jay? Absolutely. You know the Die Hard franchise was huge. You know, part one, the original Die Hard came out '88 in uh, the summer of '88. Part two came out July Fourth weekend of 1990, and then this one. So it was a five years in between two and three. So people were ready for it. And also this week that it opened, the other movie, big movie opened that weekend was Forget Paris, starring Billy Crystal and Deborah Winger, where he played an NBA referee. Yep. Not sure if you saw that one. It's a really fun movie. It's not, uh, it's it's actually kind of, it's funny, it reminds me of Jerry Maguire in a way, because it's like a romantic comedy set in the professional sports world. But anyways, that was the other movie that opened that week, and it opened in a distant third. It opened with 5.8 million, and Die Hard with a Vengeance for a grand total in a, the domestically made $100 million on the nose, $100,012,000, but internationally $266 million for a worldwide total, which made this the number one movie of the year worldwide, $366 million. And that's 1995 money, which, you know, give Correct. or take, means it's probably a $450 or $500 million movie in the present day off the budget. Easily. And so uh, I, I'm just recollecting, I do remember, uh, and again, uh, for people that are getting used to us on the show, I am married, I, I have just celebrated here in May at the time that we're taping my 24th wedding anniversary, so my, my wife, my, my wife was, we were not married in 1995, we were, we were dating, we were engaged, uh, etc., we got married the next year. I remember seeing Crimson Tide in the theater. You mentioned Forget Paris. I remember seeing Forget Paris in the theater. 
Also, 25th anniversary of Braveheart, and that is a grueling, long movie, graphic, violent movie, almost three hours with Mel Gibson. I remember seeing that one in the theater. My friend, I did not see Die Hard with a Vengeance in the theater, in and around Memorial Day and that whole month. We went to the movies a bunch, but I didn't see Die Hard with a Vengeance in the theater. I don't know about you and what you remember. I did. In fact, I, you know, I oftentimes can remember where I saw a particular movie because I Half the fun for me of going to the movie is actually going with your friends and talking about it and the experience of going to the theater and seeing it on the big screen with the digital sound, this and that. And my um, experience with Die Hard was I live here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and I live in Fort Worth, and we made the trek uh, about 30 miles to the east of Dallas to go see it at this brand-new theater. It was called the AMC Grand. It was a 24-screen monstrosity mm. that had stadium seating, and it was the first of its kind you know, the mega theater, the megaplex, if you will, whatever. And like it actually spawned all of these 30 screen theaters and stuff to the point where they uh, there was a business thing done on it called the Curse of the Grand because it was such a success. You know, it was a destination. People like me came from 30 miles away to go there to see a movie that they thought they would do this everywhere. And it ended up costing them a lot of money because other than three or four weeks out of the year, you don't need more than you know a dozen screens because you'll have all these movies that have been out for so long, especially in these days when movies go to on demand and DVD so quick. So curse of the grand comes from AMC grand and it opened this day. This is the day the grand opened the day that die hard with a vengeance. Wow. Came out. It was its opening movie. Wow. So I went there to see that with probably 10,000 people in Dallas. We, <laughs> we end up, you know, it was long, long before the days you get on your phone and buy the tickets. We end up getting there standing in a long line. We got there around two o'clock, ended up seeing a five o'clock show. It was just, it was one of those experiences hard so to forget. Awesome, you, awesome, fun time to see on the big screen. As you recall it, uh, it was it being shown uh, multiple hours or was it only being shown like every two or three hours on a couple of these screens? Or was it that big of an expectation that they were showing it like every hour or so on that opening day? It was on four days? screens, if I remember correctly. And back in the day, like all the, the movie theaters here in Fort Worth, the biggest ones had 10 screens and most of them had eight. So if you had a movie on two screens, that was a big deal. But then having 24 screens, you know, they had it on, I believe, four. They probably should have had it on about 10, the amount of people <laughs> there that came there to see it. But, yeah, as far as this huge opening weekend, a lot of it came from Dallas, Texas, and the AMC Grand. And a lot and of I it, contributed to it. There you go. And a lot of it around Bruce Willis, humongous star. We know him probably, you know, primarily for this franchise, which continued on even beyond this making of the third movie. But we, we knew him first from the Moonlighting TV series. And I know I was a big fan of that series with he and Sybil Shepherd, where they're the private detectives, the old ABC nighttime comedy drama uh, moonlighting, but then he segued into the big screen and into the movies uh, and became a, a humongous star, uh, especially as the '90s wore on uh, as well. Uh, Jay Betzel, uh, you got to give you got to give big ups to the career decision of Bruce Willis to go at not just action movies, uh, some great dramatic thrillers uh, that he was involved in. He was red hot all throughout the 1990s. He was, and I mean, as many movies as he made, he had some duds. You, we all remember Hudson Hawk. You know, he's, a, right. he's had some that did not do quite as well. But also think about this. You know, we we think of him, you and I especially, we think of him from the Die Hard series. But don't forget, he was in The Sixth Sense and Armageddon. Mm -hmm. So he was into some humongous movies that did not evolve this franchise that he's so well known for. Yeah, and The Sixth Sense, uh, just a mega thriller as the as the psychiatrist with the big twist. 
uh, at the end. So love that uh, about Bruce Willis, who's still knocking them dead, uh, even in the present day, primarily with action movies uh, as they go along. And we also have one last little yeah, yeah. box office nugget on that um, on the Die Hard series. The highest grossing of the Die Hard series, would you care to guess? I'm going to say, uh, all right, so the next one was in and around July 4th, which was Live Free or Die Hard. I'm going to say that one was the highest grossing one, which was what, about 2007, 8, something like that. I'll go number four if I have my chronology correct. Am I off? You are correct. It, in his his personal box office, The Sixth Sense is number one, Armageddon number two. Live Free or Die Hard is number three. Is of the domestic grosses, it's the highest grossing of the Die Hard movies. And this is the first of many times that we explain this on this show. Jay and I have a bit of an outline where we're talking about things. I don't really do this show with much of anything in front of me. We're kind of going off the top of our head. We've watched the movie recently or watched it a bunch. So I did not, I mean, that's not something that you kind of whispered to me, hey, live free or die hearts is best one. Act stupid and, you know, then guess that one. We didn't, we didn't rehearse this. So I just I took a guess. It, but I didn't say it. I just remember that that one had such a buildup and, and was so successful. It just made me guess that with, uh, w- with the franchise. But still, again, every one of these mega successful at the box office. And this was uh, an interesting one for Samuel L. Jackson, who had done some big movies, but he is. Uh, the co-star of this one as Zeus, the character that we meet at the beginning that's in Harlem, that's an electronic store owner in Harlem, who now becomes kind of Robin to John McClane's Batman. Zeus is like uh, his, his right-hand guy trying to help him uh, here in this movie. Yeah, and you know, they had previously uh, co-starred in Pulp Fiction the, the year before mm-hmm. this, they, in 94. So this is their second time to be in a movie together. And Samuel Jackson is an awesome actor. I mean, do you have like any Samuel Jackson movies that stand out to you? Oh, all of them. I mean, uh, there's like eight or nine. I, I go back to The Negotiator over and over again uh, on our previous episode. And again, you want to subscribe and go backwards to the catalog with more and more of these that we do. When we talked about Outbreak uh, and we talked about Kevin Spacey and Samuel L. Jackson as hostage negotiators and uh, Danny Roman, the character that Samuel L. Jackson plays, is wrongfully accused of murder. He, he ends up taking hostages himself. So the irony of that, and then Kevin Spacey comes in to defuse the situation. Love Samuel and that. He's great in Pulp Fiction, obviously, as Jules. He and he and uh, John Travolta as Vinny Vega in that. But, I mean, on and on and on. Great. Uh, Coach Carter comes to mind with the basketball movie because we're sports guys. Uh, but Samuel L., tremendous uh, in, a, in a, a Time to Kill where he's on trial, which A Time to Kill would have been, what, the following year, right? Either 96 or 97, where he's on Correct. trial. Correct, it was the following summer, is in 96. There we go with uh, with Matthew McConaughey defending him as Carl Lee Haley uh, in, the, uh, in the murder of two guys that he believed were going to get away with raping his daughter in Mississippi. So, uh, love, love Samuel L. Jackson. I, do you have a when favorite think, one think money for you? Too for yeah. him. He's, he's been in... The Star Wars franchise, the right. original Jurassic Park. He's in the Marvel movies, the mm. Avengers. I mean, he's just made so many movies that have made so much money. Um, honestly, I would have to say his character in Pulp Fiction is the first thing I think of because he was so great in that movie. But, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. He's an awesome actor, and, and pretty much anything he's in, I will at least give it you know the benefit of the doubt and, and watch it because he's in it. Love Samuel L. Jackson. And we've got an interesting villain in this one in Jeremy Irons, a very accomplished 
uh, actually Brit- what British actor, but he's got he's working the he's working the German accent or the Eastern European accent in this one as Simon uh, Simon Peter Krieg, who we actually find out is Simon Peter. Gruber, the brother of Hans Gruber, who John McClane has dropped off the Nakatomi Tower a few years earlier, and so that that plays into the role. But Jeremy Irons, uh, what, what do you think about him here as uh, as the villain, as Simon? Well, you know he's an Academy Award winner. He won Oscar playing Klaus von Bülow in mm-hmm. Reversal Fortune a couple of years prior to Die Hard of the Vengeance, and. I mean, he's a really good actor, and I thought he did a good job playing the the villain here. I mean, obviously, you know, the it was a kind of a cool character, and the way that it ties into the fact that he's Hans Gruber's brother, and spoiler alert, the way that he's using the quote-unquote terrorist uh, playbook to basically, because he's a common thief, you know, but he's really an exceptional thief, because he's still $140 million. thief, Mrs. McLean. Yes, <laughs> but, just like his brother. Yeah, I, think, I thought he did a really good job. And, I mean, overall, I mean, obviously this is probably the thing I think of him in first, because a lot of the movies he's in are more of like the kind of the art-type movies. He's not in a bunch of big box office smashes, if you will. Um, there's one that I saw a while back that um, – I want, I'm going to go on a limb here because I've got notes, but this isn't actually in my notes. It's from 2000, I think 11, and it was called Margin Call, mm-hmm. and it was it was basically it was um, based on the early stages of the financial crisis from 2008, and it had um, Kevin Spacey, Mary McDonnell, handful of big stars, and he was in that as well. And I so probably of the movies I think of him, I think of Margin Call and then Die Hard of the Mentions. How about that? Love, uh, love him as Simon. What Simon says, and he's sending uh, McLean and Zeus all around uh, Manhattan and New York to different places, from from Wall Street to Yankee Stadium, and all the way up to the viaducts uh, out, outside of the outskirts of the city, uh, playing all these different games against them. So, uh, yeah, I mean, look, the plot of the movie. Uh, definitely different, and we're going to talk about this more with Dan Leach and other T's again here. In a, <laughs> excuse me, in a few minutes when we talk to Dan about um, about how this movie differs from the first two in that McLean is trapped in the Nakatomi Tower with the terrorists. He's at the airport in the second one in Washington D.C. This one covers the entire geography of Greater New York City, uh, Harlem, even Manhattan, uh, the Bronx, with Yankee Stadium. We're not just, it's not just in one little small location where this is, is going on. And how many times have you been to New York? In my life, probably guesstimate 10 plus, just different travels, vacations, sports duties, working with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, doing some college basketball yeah, you guys radio the work. Giants and the Jets and That's stuff, correct. Assume, right? College basketball world, uh, having worked games at Madison Square Garden, having the privilege to be there, be, be around the Big East tournament, probably 10 times. I would say 10 at least. How about you? Because I've only been once. I've been once. I went um, in 2003, I believe it was. So it was soon enough after the uh, 9/11 that Ground Zero was, you know, set up, and we we got we went by and visited there. And um, I the main reason for going on the trip was we wanted to go see Yankee Stadium before they tore it down because the new one was about to open. Right. And so we did all the touristy stuff. We went to see the Late Show with David Letterman. <laughs> we did the Empire State Building. We did a Mets game at Shea Stadium, did U.S. Open tennis, you name it. So kind of my whole point was um, we stayed at the Four Seasons on Madison and 57th. 
And so by virtue of that, we kind of bounced around all over town. We, we were literally right next to a subway um, entrance uh, by Bloomingdale's. And so by virtue of that, we were able to kind of bounce all over the city. And I was just thinking there's no way I could have made it the places they made it in the time they made it. So it was a good thing John McClain knew New York better than I did. <laughs> and some of it, again, is you have to just understand it's Hollywood and it's a movie. But they also knew how to use either the subway or use the cabs or or sometimes you just have to drive through Central Park. I mean, I love that part of the movie as the movie unfolds and they're racing around having to do all these tasks for Simon or he's going to blow something else up. Uh, when uh, <laughs> when uh, Zeus says to him, I, I, you can't use Park Drive this time of day because of the traffic. He said, I'm not using Park Drive. I said the park. And he goes right through the middle <laughs> of Central Park with everybody running every which direction, uh, diving out of the way. Um, and then uh, I love how he uses, he, ca- he calls in the, uh, the ambulance to be a lead blocker, essentially, to help him get through the traffic. But then he even realizes uh, when, the, when, the one, when the subway bomb blows up, uh, he he looks at Zeus and says, hey, what were our chances really of making this? And Zeus looks at him and says, zip. And he says, that means he was going to blow it anyway. That means he was going to blow this up no matter if we got here or not. So they now begin to realize they're dealing with a madman of some kind here who ultimately wants both of them dead. Or maybe it's more diabolical than him being a madman. Yeah, maybe, maybe. the thing was staged. Yeah, maybe, and then it starts to occur to him eventually in the movie, right, in the plot that, that is about that. But they, they realize here, we're, we're in a very dangerous game with a guy that ultimately wants me dead and now apparently also may want uh, Samuel L. Jackson's Zeus dead as well as they're trying to uh, you know, figure this out. You know, and I was kind of wondering about this. Obviously, you know, having him go to Harlem, I'm curious to know if the plan was for him to interact with Zeus because they they managed to pick the exact school that Zeus's uh, nephews are at, right? So I wonder if there's like a a longer version of the movie where he's got some kind of beef with Zeus as well, and you know he's kind of doing the double revenge, if you will. I I'm, I'd be kind of curious <laughs> about that because obviously you know this this script has been doctored because it's um they've had a couple of different things they were going to do with it. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. Some of the earlier incarnations before Simon Says turned into what we now know as Die Hard with a Vengeance. But I just kind of wonder if maybe the original story, there might have been something there with Zeus as well. Ultimately, though, he is dealing with the uh, the brother of the deceased former terrorist that was trying to steal all the money and fake their deaths at the Nakatomi Tower in Los Angeles. He's going to be on the beach earning 20 percent. Right. right. That's what they were going to be doing. So this is very similar because these guys are trying to get away with all the gold out of the Federal Reserve in New York escape with it, and then have the authorities... Your Fort Knox, isn't that what he called it? Right, your Fort Knox, and have the authorities <laughs> think that they're dead because they, they're going to think that the bomb blew up, and by the time they go to the bottom of uh, whatever it is, the Hudson River or wherever that, that, that boat is in the movie, wherever that ship is, uh, that by the time they figure out that the bomb went off, the boat blew up, but the terrorists aren't dead and this isn't real gold, they'll be long gone. It's the same kind of premise uh, here with Die Hard with a Vengeance. So... Um, again, being hungry for all we know, right? Uh, yes. And we're going to talk a little bit more <laughs> about that. So in any event, we assume on this uh, show again, we, we always go into this with the aspect that you know a lot about this movie and or the outcome of this movie. We're a constant spoiler alert. So again, in well, like the- I said earlier, my favorite part about going to the movie is talking with your friends after 
yes. about how much fun it was. That's essentially what we're doing with the with the title. Like we've seen that, it means we've all seen it, right? <laughs> Very true. And at, at this point, we know that we're going to eventually build up to a confrontation between McLean and Simon. That's what we're headed towards. And and uh, Zeus is there with him. Samuel is there with him. But we're headed throughout the movie to the big confrontation and the and the battle and. Uh, trying to figure out what's going to happen, and even and and even uh, Bruce Willis saying, even McLean saying to Zeus, "I know the family. I know what's going on. He's going to he's going to fake his death. I know what he's doing. He has it figured out. It's just a matter of can they catch him uh, here in the end." So, uh, in any event, we've kind of laid out some of the movie. Uh, I want to bring Dan Leach on here now uh, to talk some more about this. Again, he's a big radio personality in Detroit. I met Dan probably about six, seven years ago, uh, interestingly, in sports media and in broadcasting. I traveled to Detroit some uh, to do college basketball. Did not get to do that, obviously, here in 2020 with the coronavirus shutting down college basketball right at the end of the season. But I see him when the Buccaneers are playing in Detroit. Uh, I get an opportunity to see him some here and there, and I've had him on shows. He's had me on shows. He's a huge movie fan, Jay Betzel, and we've got a great thing here for the audience coming in this conversation, too, because there's an alternate ending to the movie where McLean catches up to Simon and ends up getting the better of Simon and killing Simon at the end of this movie. There's an alternate ending to how the movie could have uh, ended up in the theaters and on the DVD, but instead they didn't choose to use the alternate ending. And I did not know until recently because of Leach, because of Dan Leach, that there was an alternate version. Well, it's, it's pretty, it's interesting to, to know that there's another way it could have ended. And obviously, you know, when you break down movies like we do, and you talk about movies, a lot of times, if there's a movie where you're kind of on the fence on, you know, like, like I kind of was with this one, um, a lot of times the reason being, oh, if it had only ended a little different or, oh, if character A had been played by actor B or whatever, right? And one thing I wanted to mention before we bring Dan on, that usually I try to get into this when we're doing the cast, but this movie, Die Hard of the Vengeance, was directed by John McTiernan, mm-hmm. and he directed the original Die Hard. And he had a nice little run. Check this out. He made Predator in 87 <laughs> with Schwarzenegger, Carl Weathers, the group. Right. The original Die Hard in 88 and Hunt for Red October in 90. How's that for a three uh, run of three yep. films? And then he kind of kind of went down a little bit. He had Medicine Man in 92 with Sean Connery, which was a dud. He had The Last Action Hero with Arnold Schwarzenegger in 93, which was a colossal another, flop. Another dud, and, yep. And then he returned to this franchise, Die Hard of the Vengeance. And Die Hard 2, Die Harder, was directed by Rennie Harlan, who also made, uh, speaking of duds, Cutthroat Island. But he had also done like uh, the Adventures of Ford Fairlane with Andrew Dice Clay, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Four. So, um, anyways, I just want to kind of point that out because this certainly the plot, if you think about it, all the way throughout, is very similar to the original Die Hard, although the characters are very different. You know, Simon Simon being Hans's brother, but obviously John McClane is not the same John McClane we had in the first one, where you know Yippee Kaye and he's. James Bond throughout a building. He's more of a regular, like a, a person that's got some serious issues. It looks like he, you know, might have had a little too much to drink. But anyway, as I just kind of wanted to point out that John McTiernan made it, so it changes styles because obviously one of the cool things about the original Die Hard is that John McClane is kind of your everyman, your everyday man. And I, I threw out James Bond, but what I meant with James Bond was Die Hard Two, where he's jumping out of a helicopter oh, onto sure. the wing of a plane or 
or whatever, you know. Hey, well, so there's uh, look, there's a lot of that a superhero back to the everyman. But there, there's a lot of that in the first one as well, where he's going up and down the elevator shaft and bombs are going off and he's jumping off the building True. with the fire hose around him like a superhero and still being able to get inside of the uh, of the window by shooting the window out. And there's some and there's some wild stunts in the third one here too. But you're right; it is kind of interesting. They put the band back together, if you will. They put the original director back yeah. in there. Same kind of storyline, and I think that's going to play into our segue of our conversation with our guest. Let's get to that now. Yes, indeed. I have enlisted some help. I put the bat signal up. If we're talking Die Hard three for uh, one of my faves, I love talking with Dan Leach about all kinds of things, mostly sports, but then we bring back to pop culture and to movies, and I love having him on. Dan is on 97.1 The Ticket, the FM All Sports uh, Station, massive powerhouse station in the Detroit Rock City, uh, Michigan market, and he's kind enough to be with us on We've Seen That. Dan, great to have you. I got Jay Betzel, my co-host with me. Uh, how you holding up right now in these times? I know we're at the time that we're taping, we're loosening up some of the coronavirus restrictions. I see pictures of the Squatch out on the golf course uh, in Michigan, so that's good. How you holding up, brother? Everything good? Hey, yeah, great to be with you guys. And hey, listen, you know, you know me, I, I you can't hold the, the Squatch down, but it's it's also very important. I mean, I've been out there golfing a lot lately, but very safely. And I'm in Michigan, of course, where we have one of the worst hot spots uh, for a while in the world. So we're, we're trying to get things back to, you know, the new abnormal, but very slow. I have no issue with that. I think it's important to be safe. Obviously we all miss doing things that we're used to be doing, but it's, it's way more important to be slow than to be fast. So it's nice to get out there and, and golf when you can. I've been going on walks every day, obviously yearning for sports, which aren't really here, <laughs> but someday I'll be back. But, you know, you've known me for a while now. I mean, I'm a positive guy. So even even in the midst of this just insanity, uh, which none of us ever expected that to go through, but we know the world has many times, especially 100 years ago for the Spanish flu, we got to find ways to make do. And obviously movies are a great way to do that. So as you see on my social media, every day I give out a movie or a TV series for everyone to watch. And, of course, uh, recently it was Die Hard 3. <laughs> and I've given out, I think, every diehard because uh, I love them all. But I'll tell you this. I did not know that Die Hard 3 came out on my birthday. In really? So there's a lot. May 19th, baby. May 19th. Lo- I there's love that. Of, uh, yeah, a lot of connections there. But, uh, yes, I, I'm, I'm hanging in. Things are good, and, I, and I'm great to happy to be with you guys. I did not know that it was recently your birthday. Happy birthday. You celebrated the most recent anniversary of your 29th birthday with your latest birthday. I love saying that as we all start to get older. Yeah. So happy birthday. We, we called it... I call it the 30th anniversary of Mother Mitzvah, so it's perfect. <laughs> it works well. So, Jay, how about this? He's a big he's a big movie guy. He's a big Die Hard guy. And Die Hard 3 came out on his birthday. That's like a trifecta uh, for us on it We've is. Seen That, Jay Petzl. I mean, I love that. That's what I like to refer to as fate. Yes, it is absolutely fate to have you on. All right. Um, I have already said earlier in this podcast that by the time we got to three, I was not as big a fan after three. Three was good, but man, Die Hard and Die Harder, the second one, were really, they were great movies. This one, it works. I enjoyed it. That's my opinion. Dan, give me your opinion. Were you still juices pumping here on Die Hard with a Vengeance with Bruce Willis, Samuel L. Jackson? 
Listen, you just brought up a point that I think a lot of fans of the series felt that maybe there was a little steam lost after Die Hard 2. I, it's funny, I was just having this conversation with a good friend of mine who loves movies as well. Obviously, we know Die Hard, the original, was one of the great action movies ever. I love Die Hard 2. I know there's some that, that did not as much as, as obviously, Die Hard, the, the first movie, but either as, as much as three. For me, as much as I love two, and obviously seeing John McCarran come back and do number three, I actually, I, I, no, no, don't get me wrong. I don't want to make it sound like I did like Die Hard 2. I loved it. I liked three more than two. Mm. So not only were the juices flowing, but when I saw, I just thought three was a perfect movie because it's got great action. It's got a good storyline in all these different directions. It's got Hans Gruber's brother, played brilliantly by Jeremy Irons. It's got all these different connections. McLean is now estranged again from his wife. He's drinking. He's, you know, having issues getting up in the morning. So I just, I just thought that as, as much as I love Die Hard 2, I just like Die Hard 3 more. So I was already juiced. Die Hard 1, as you know, I was, I was 12 when it came out, and I probably should have watched it at, at 12 years old, but I don't care. I loved it. I watched it a million times. And then Die Hard 2 just took it forward. I loved the, the setting at the airport. I just loved everything that was going on with that movie. And then when I got to 3, as I was getting a little older into my teenage years, I just couldn't get enough of it. I remember seeing Die Hard with the Avengers, Die Hard 3, in the theaters three times. And back then when you were you know, 14, 15, that's a lot in the theater. It's not like you're an adult and you can go whatever you want. I had my mom drop me off. I wasn't driving yet. But I just remember loving every moment of it. And every time all the diehards come on TV, I watch them. But when three's on lately, aside from one, it really sucks me in. So I w I'm a huge fan of Die with a Vengeance. I think all the first three movies, and all for you know, intense purposes are great. But the first three are obviously the best. And I just, I, I'm infatuated with three. And then to know it came out on my birthday, as you mentioned, it's a brilliant confluence of events. Dan, let me ask you this. In my opinion, and a lot of opinions of my friends, they think that the John McClane in Die Hard of the Vengeance is more attuned to Joe Hallenbeck from Last Boy Scout or even Bruce Willis's character in Striking Distance, Tom Hardy, as opposed to the sure. first two diehards. Do you, do you agree with that? Or do you still think he's more along the lines of the John McClane we know and love? Well, you know what? I think it's a really interesting point you make. And by the way, I love the last Boys Count. That was another movie I probably should have seen when I was as young as I was. But I went anyway. We used to sneak into our random movies in the old American <laughs> West. Farmington Hills, Michigan. But I see, I looked at it like this. I think he had evolved as a character. So while he might be different than he was in the first two movies, where it was, you know, super cowboyish, he's kind of down on himself in Die Hard 3. He kind of doesn't know where he's going in life. And obviously, he's still estranged from his wife, played by the beautiful Bonnie Bedelia. And uh, I, I think that in Die Hard 3, it's about his growth as a character. And that's, I liked it. It's like, it's not what you're used to in the first two. And that's why it was refreshing to me. Because, and obviously, bringing in the angle with, with Hans Gruber's brother, which was obviously a ruse to begin with, but obviously, he's still his brother. It still mattered to him a little bit. Um, I just look at it like his character had evolved to maybe being less of a, of a cowboy type guy and more of just trying to figure out what his meaning of life was. And I feel like that's why, to me, that movie works so well with all the other subplots. And then, of course, you've got to give a great nod to Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, hey, Zeus, Zeus, 
Yeah, I thought your name was Zeus. Hey, Zeus. Um, <laughs> hey, Zeus, right. I, just, I, yeah, I thought you were no, saying, hey, Zeus. But I just think that that, and that was kind of early on when I was learning about Samuel L. Jackson. Of course, he was brilliant in Pulp Fiction, but I didn't know a ton about Samuel L. Jackson in 1995. And I just thought that their interplay together, you know, it gets off on this crazy weird foot where McFay almost gets killed by a gang and he's wearing a racist sign. And I just, I love that interplay. I love the storyline. And as, as you brought up the question about McLean and it was, if he was different in the first two movies, he was. But I just think it's because he was evolving and he was going through his own personal stuff. So I, I didn't think that was anything that took away from what John McLean's character set up in the original two movies. I think it just kind of moved it forward, and that's why I enjoyed it so much. Voice but you did mention that he was kind of a cowboy in the first two. There's only so many times that they could have him be like a superhero and save a building or save an airport. I guess that that kind of makes sense there too. Sure. Yeah, I think he was. I think he was more like you know. You look at the not to go to another franchise, but I'll give you the example I'm feeling right now. Christopher Nolan's you know uh, Dark Knight trilogy. Batman, you know, kind of campy with Michael Keaton. Obviously, we know what went on, you know, back in the day with Adam West was like. He that Batman character was grounded in reality. And it was something that you could believe. It wasn't like he was he's a superhero, but he's not a guy with superpowers. And it was grounded in reality to me. That's why it works so well. That John McClane in, in Die Hard 3 seemed much more grounded in reality, where it's like he wasn't, you know, saving an airport. He wasn't saving Nagantomi Tower. He was saving people. But it was grounded in something you could totally believe that wasn't crazy when it comes to, you know, just doing these insane things to stop what happens in the first two movies. So I think that's a great point, too. And I think that's why, once again, as I mentioned, the character is evolving and it also was grounded more in a little reality for me in that movie. Voice of Dan Leach with us for a few more minutes here on our We've Seen That podcast. Dan is a radio host with 97.1 The Ticket in Detroit. Follow him at DanLeach971 for 97.1 The Station in Detroit. Follow him. Uh, Love his insight. Love being around this guy. Uh, When I've had opportunities during the college basketball season uh, to be around you in previous broadcast lives. Uh, But he's a big movies fan as well. And one more, and then we're going to get to the whole alternate ending thing that we've been teasing throughout this podcast that you turned me on to. I think this also is different and works because for the first time in the franchise of Die Hard, he has a helper, as you mentioned, Zeus, Samuel L. Jackson's character. In the previous two... I, I guess you could make the argument that Al Powell is the helper, but he's only he's down on the ground with the cops and he's he's helping him and giving him confidence and on the two way communication. And I guess he has sort of some help uh, from the janitor in in Die Harder when he's going through the airport uh, bowels. Uh, the police are supposedly going to help him, but it's basically him and Barnes, right? The uh, the air traffic controller kind of helps him here through the whole movie. Samuel L. as Zeus is helping him. So that dynamic is different, and that kind of works for me that McLean has a helper. Let's go around the room. Uh, Leach, you're good with that, with the helper? You liked it? It added to it? Yeah, I think like I said, I think that the interplay between him and Samuel L. Jackson's character, Zeus, it just it added to the story. It made the movies kind of flow better together. And as you mentioned, you know, whether it was the janitor, whether it was uh, you know, great Sergeant Powell, who didn't, didn't, hadn't used his gun in years, they were less involved. They were helping him morally and supportively. Right but they weren't helping him on the ground. Samuel L. Jackson's character did. And, and one more thing I wanted to mention, all due respect to Randy Harlan, who did a fine job directing Die Hard 2, John McCarrion, you knew 
it's that's he comes back after directing the first one, and I feel like the reason that not just the interplay between you know Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson's characters worked in the third, but why the whole movie worked is because Vitaren was a, just a masterful director, and I think that was a perfect kind of movie offer in one and two. He comes back in three, and that's why it all kind of came together for me. Why I loved it even more than two. Love it, Jay Betzel. Your opinion? Does it work better? Real quick, because Samuel L's the helper. Well, you know, part of our amazing research for this show, I uh, saw that this was originally going to be a script for Lethal Weapon. So I thought that yeah. part made it kind of fun to kind of, in my mind, picture Mel Gibson and Danny Glover running <laughs> through L.A. doing the same thing with Simon Says. And I thought it worked. the interplay worked well. I thought Samuel Jackson's such an amazing actor that you know he can do almost anything. And we've seen he's been in almost every movie that's come out since this. But, yeah, I, I thought it added to a lot of fun and, you know, and especially in the first Die Hard when he was all by himself for the most part. This certainly added a new wrinkle to it. All right, great stuff. Now we're going to move on to one other reason why we have Dan here before we all have to get out of here on this uh, segment, and that is you put out an alternate ending that I did not know 25 years later. I did not have a DVD version of this. I didn't know that this existed, and you put it out there, and I've watched it. And obviously, we're a constant Dan spoiler alert on this podcast, so we assume that most everybody has seen the movie, has seen the end whenever they're listening to us. So the original end of the movie that's in the movie that was in the theaters that's on on all the replays on on cable tv now etc etc is that uh zeus and mclean chase simon and the bad guys into canada find them find them in the warehouse where they have the gold they've gotten away and then ultimately uh they show up and and uh and uh simon ends up on the helicopter with the blonde uh, terrorist and they end up getting tangled in the guide wires and it wrecks the helicopter and they blow up they die okay so we get that that's the ending and the ultimate ending is that we see him on the phone call uh holly his wife to try to reconcile at zeus's urging so that works for me i i enjoy that ending of the movie now my man leech comes comes forward with an alternate ending and i'll describe it briefly as okay uh, apparently sometime later in the alternate ending mclean has tracked down simon who got away has found him like in this european castle restaurant resort uh in this office setting behind a desk and has confronted him in Hungary, okay, that's where it is. He has found him, he has confronted him, and he's confronted him with a Chinese rocket launcher, a portable one, sitting right on his desk. And now McLean is going to play Simon Says with Simon, and if Simon gets it wrong, he's going to get blown up. And spoiler alert, that's exactly what happens. Simon gets blown up in the alternate ending that they didn't use. Dan, are you disappointed with what I just described, that they didn't use the alternate ending? Well, well, listen, and, and this for people that are fans of this, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the truth too. I look into every all the movies I love, and I normally do, as you guys do, tons of research. I didn't know about this right away either. I mean, I definitely didn't know about it 25 years ago, and I didn't have that special edition DVD either. But this, to me, and by the way, before we go, there's also a third alternate ending. Wow, that wasn't used. I'll tell you all about right. that in a minute. Okay, good. But this. This one, to me, and when I watched it recently, you know, seeing as I mentioned, you mentioned I was on my Twitter at Dan Leach 971. You got to watch it if you're a fan of this movie. It was awesome. And, and like you said, the, the way they ended the movie, which tested better, we all know how movies and, you know, text readings go, and the studio makes decisions, and they thought the, the original ending tested better, and it's fine. But this one, it has brought in so much more to me. 
One thing that I wanted to mention, just to further what you've already described, McLean had been fired from the NYPD after 20 years at the, during this scene. They blamed that he was a scapegoat for everything that went wrong with all robbery. And you mentioned he's in Hungary. Uh, he had turned Simon did, Jeremy Irons' character, the, the gold and the statues of the Empire State Building to smuggle out of the country. And then, as, he, as you mentioned, he tracked them down. And by the way, when I was looking into this scene, it also is very similar to Sir Alec Guinness, the great Obi-Wan Kenobi, in a British movie called The Lavender Hill Mob. So it was very similar to that situation. <laughs> Listen to Leech. I love it. A, I love uh, it. I got it all for you. You mentioned they play a game called McLean Says. And just to further the point on the rocket launcher, McLean took off the, the thing. So you don't know if it's going to shoot McLean or if it's going to shoot Simon. And it, Simon keeps flipping it back and forth, like spinning it around. So you have no idea. And at the end, Simon gets the riddle wrong. The answer to the riddle was wearing a flak jacket. He shoots himself, fires himself through the window, gone. But I just, the way they put that scene together, and I'd love to hear what you guys thought. I think that would have worked better. I'm not saying I, I didn't like the original ending. To me, it works perfectly. I mentioned I like Die Hard with a Vengeance a little more than Die Hard 2. Die Harder. Uh, all three, the first three great movies, though. But to me, when I watched this scene recently again, I'm like, because I, I just watched the movie, and that's why I kind of looked into this again. I, to me, it just seems like it would have been a cooler way to end the movie. Darker, revenge. And that's one of the things the studio said that McLean wasn't a revenge type guy. They didn't want to, he was more of just like a, you know, an altruistic guy that was trying to make his way through life and his career and, and the situation with his wife. So that was one reason they kind of pulled it away, but I thought it was such a cool scene and it gave me chills at the end. <laughs> and I purposely said to Jay Betzel when he had watched this, don't tell me, don't tell me what you think, even though I have an inkling by right. the tone of his voice. So Jay here on, we've seen that. What do you think of the alternate ending we're describing, and should they have used it? First off, I owe a debt of gratitude to Dan for posting this because of all the Bravo. stuff I've ever seen about movies. I did not know this existed. Bravo. I Bravo. thoroughly enjoyed it more. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and echo what you said earlier about him evolving from the guy that jumped out of a helicopter onto the wing of an airplane in Washington, D.C. snowstorm. He evolved from that to calmly hunting him down in Hungary. <laughs> And I was all about the revenge. It got cost him his job, his family, his livelihood. Why not go after him and get him, you know? <laughs> yeah, I think it's perfect. And, and by the way, just to, to give oh, go ahead, go ahead. And the third, okay, so what's the third version? Because we've now described the two versions. If you would, real quick, what's the yeah. third version that they did not use? So first, obviously, they filmed, they filmed the first two. We, we just talked about the alternative editing that obviously you could watch. They filmed that. They filmed the first one. We know that. They did not film this second alternate ending. So they never filmed it, but when, when I looked into it, I thought it sounded pretty cool. Not as cool as the second one, but basically what happened was is that McLean and Zeus were floating back to the shore on a makeshift raft, makeshift raft after that explosion. Uh, and then Zeus says, it's a shame the bad guys are going to get away. McLean says, uh, you know, tells him not to be so sure. And then the scene shifts to the plane where the terrorists find the briefcase bomb left in the park. Remember that one when the one they did the water gun? And... And then Carver gave it back to them. And at the end of this, because they didn't use it to blow up the dam in, the, in, the, in this, obviously, alternate ending. And then it would end, the film would end on like this kind of, they're calling it a darkly comic note, at least the writers on it, that Simon asks anyone if they have a four-gallon jug. And then, of course, it explodes. <laughs> uh, and I guess it was rejected early on, so it never was filmed. 
But uh, I thought that was kind of a cool thing, too. But definitely not as good as the second alternative. Well, now that you're saying that, obviously that's how he deals with the terrorists, the military guys, um, Stewart and Grant, is that he lights the, yeah. the leaking fuel on fire and blows their plane up. So it would have been the same ending, essentially, in right. three of blowing the bad guy's plane up. I think two works better. Jay Betzel, does two does 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 the alternate ending work better than either one of those? I think it might have. For me, it did. I'm you. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, it Every time I watch that alternate ending, and for people that have never watched it, that are fans of these movies like we are, I, I'm telling you, I think they'll get a similar reaction where they'll sure. watch it, and, and not that they'll get mad that they didn't use it. I mean, obviously, I wish they they would have, but it just it's it it was perfect, and like you said. It's, it's one of these things where they, they rejected it because McLean wasn't this revenge guy initially. But as I, as I mentioned, they, they evolved, his character evolved. And, and I just feel like it was, it was a perfect way to end that movie. The well, way the movie kind of one thing that occurs, and I know you've got to run and we've got to run as well, is that if, you're, if he's no longer a cop and he's doing the revenge vigilante thing, you really can't have the fourth movie, which ended up, what was it, right. uh, Live Free or Die Hard around July 4th, right, in, in 07, uh, and much yep. less the next one after that with his son, et cetera, et cetera. So he's no longer a cop if he's blowing up, uh, if he's blowing up Simon Gruber uh, there with a rocket launcher, but they wanted to keep the franchise going. Yeah, go quick. ahead, Jay. Yeah. And at the end of the original Dirty Harry, Callahan threw away his badge, and then two years later, he was back to being a cop and back and forth. So the way the movies yeah. are, you don't follow it. So. They can definitely find a way to, you know, they, they figured out that McClay did blow it. He's back on the fourth. He's a lieutenant now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's that. It makes sense, though. That you don't want to do the, you know, still, still, you. I'll tell you, the way they, the way they filmed that scene, the way that made you feel at the end of that alternate ending, I just thought it was perfect. Well, and and you put us onto that. You've got it on your social media. We're going to put it out through the We've Seen yeah. That social media and list it now that we're talking about the alternate ending where fans can watch it. He is a great follow on Twitter. He is hardcore Detroit through and through. We're hoping to get some sports back, uh, including the PGA Tour. Dan's a big golf guy like Jay and I are, but also yeah. uh, the, you know, the, the end of uh, hockey, the end of basketball still to play. Uh, baseball, will it start up? We're finding all of that out here in 2020 in these tough times. Dan, thank you. Thank you for what you're continuing to do on the air on 97.1 The Ticket. We tell everybody to follow you, Dan Leach, 97.1 on Twitter. Find him through 97.1 The Ticket, the radio station, and online through radio.com to hear his show. He's on at night. Uh, He's also on on weekends as well with all the stuff. Dan, you're a treat. Thank you for all of this. Thank you for hopping on. We've seen that, brother. Jay and TJ, it's an honor, and I'll just say, wash your hands, spread love, not hate, and believe in the dream. Thanks, Dan. Love getting that guy on. Uh, Again, how about the insight of Dan Leach uh, with depth of this? I mean, I know he can go in-depth on, like, the Tigers' starting rotation if we ever get baseball back later this year in 2020. But he's going in-depth on the characters and other movies in the 90s and in and around that stuff. Love it. And again, for the fans, we will put out there that alternate ending uh, through the social media like I was just talking about there during the conversation. Um, and as, as we both uh, weighed in on that, uh, I, I don't know that the movie would have been worse off with that ending. But again, Jay, it's worth pointing out they had aspirations to have uh, a fourth, a fifth movie and continue the series. So 
once he's blown up Simon with a rocket launcher and he's no longer a cop, that's a lot to come back from and still and still be a cop. Right, yeah, you probably don't want to put that on your resume if you're going to go try and be a cop in another big city like but, Chicago. Or- as you pointed out, it's the movies. It's Hollywood. You can always you can always come back around to, hey, we'll reinstate him for whatever reason. And that's kind of what happens even in 3, where they reinstate you know, Well, and I know our wheelhouse is the 80s and 90s, but the, the Dirty Harry that I mentioned there, we should probably make an exception and do Dirty Harry or Magnum <laughs> Force or one of those, because those are fun movies. And uh, I would love to see them remade today in, in, in our it, current climate. Believe it or not, I was with Mrs. Reeves yesterday with my wife we were riding around and I, I there was something that we were supposed to have done and I looked at her and said in all the excitement I can't remember if I fired my gun five times or six that's exactly what I said to her just like <laughs> dirty Harry because then the next line is you have to ask yourself do you feel lucky punk go ahead well, make my you. day do you? <laughs> go ahead make my day so, um, well, in, and in you know, event, each, each one, he's got his own lines and one of them's man's got to know his limitations. Uh, yes. Dirty Harry. Yes. And kind of the precursor to the action star the John McClane, Bruce Willis would be with John McClane as, right. as opposed to Harry uh, Callahan. All right. So a couple of other things about Die Hard with a Vengeance, the third in the sequence of the movies. Uh, what else do you have for me? Because you mentioned earlier in the podcast that that wasn't necessarily going to be the name. Of course, we had Die Hard. The sequel is then Die Harder or Die Hard 2. And this was Die Hard with a Vengeance. But what else here? Well, this one was originally, the script was called Simon Says. And it was designed for a uh, Brandon Lee star vehicle, Bruce Lee's mm. son, mm. who appeared in Rapid Fire and The Crow before he died. And so that obviously changed the plans there. And then Warner Brothers bought the script and they kind of doctored it up to where it could be a, a potential sequel for Lethal Weapon for that series. Right. And that ended up not happening. So the script ends up kind of going what they call turnaround. And Fox bought it out of turnaround, you know, with the idea of making it a diehard sequel. And that's what they did. They bought it and they rewrote it to uh, be a diehard sequel because obviously, you know, for Lethal Weapon, it'd be set in L.A., and you've got, you know, it's just a lot different right. setup, but I mean, the same kind of interaction as you so, have with Riggs and Murtaugh so instead is very of, similar to Zeus and McLean. So instead of McLean and Zeus running with the twin towers in the background through the streets, it would have been uh, Riggs and Murtaugh running past the palm trees of Beverly Hills, maybe trying you know, to go the Hollywood catch, sign or something, right? Yeah, trying to catch the terrorists uh, in, in, uh, in that regard. And I was just thinking of this. Uh, so many times in Hollywood, just like in sports, maybe even in politics, uh, it's what might have been, what if you'd have done this differently, what if you'd have done that differently. Man, you wonder if those guys uh, at Warner Brothers weren't uh, kicking themselves at, hey, why, why didn't we make this into something else? Because here they turned it into a diehard movie and it was massively, massively successful off that script that they had and gave up and gave up on the idea. Yeah, and I mean, it's looking back on it, the, obviously the Lethal Weapon series, this was considered to be a Lethal Weapon 3. And that one ended up being the one where we had um, Rene Russo introduced right, as right. the internal affairs officer. So, I mean, I think just for the Lethal Weapon series, every you know, obviously everything turned out fine. Plus, by the time we got to part three and part four, you know, Riggs was pretty sane compared to what he was, especially in the first one, but even the second one when he was, you know, purposely separating his shoulder and right. stuff like that to get out of the straitjacket. So 
I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it all worked out the way it should have. How about that? Interesting that Samuel L. Jackson was not the first choice to be Zeus in this one. What do you make of that? That uh, Morpheus, Lawrence Fishburne was actually the first choice, right? I think Lawrence Fishburne should have had some chats with his representatives. That's what I think. Because? Because? I think that um, what I've seen, I don't have this one in front of me, but I've read this one enough times that this is kind of me paraphrasing it that he was um, up for the role of Jules in Pulp Fiction. And his representative suggested that he turn it down because they wanted him to take leading man roles. And part of the, and he was up, he was basically almost had a verbal agreement to play Zeus, but apparently they hadn't signed anything yet. And the producer, Andrew Vajna of Dired with Vengeance, had seen Samuel L. Jackson in Pulp Fiction decided he wanted him to be in it. And Bruce Willis had apparently also recommended Samuel L. Jackson off of their time in Pulp Fiction. And to which Samuel L. Jackson was completely head over heels excited because he said he'd seen the first Die Hard maybe 30 times. How about that? So, so Fish, Fishburne, and then apparently it worked Lawrence out. Fishburne, there was, there was legal action from Lawrence Fishburne because he said they reneged on him getting the role. <laughs> well, it ended up working up well, uh, working out well for him, as I mentioned, because he becomes Morpheus in the Matrix trilogy and those movies, uh, which made him a ton of money and made him a megastar in the late nineties, right after this and the early two thousands. So, uh, yeah, and he's event. a really good actor. He did some good stuff before this and after oh, yeah. this. And, um, I mentioned John McTiernan right before we went to the interview and his first choice for the role of Simon Gruber was Sean Connery. How about that? Not Jeremy Irons. But and Sean Connery turned the role down, saying he did not want to play such a diabolical villain. Could you imagine Sean Connery going at it with Simon Says <laughs> against <laughs> and John uh, McClane? Against McClane. Hey, what do you make? I was talking with uh, with you and with Dan about on the alternate ending that you know they they had the the first one ends with the big explosion um and and ultimately McLean survives you have the big explosion with the airplane in the second one and here they go back to the big explosion again but the alternate what the alternate ending that uh that Dan Leach was mentioning that may, maybe McLean was going to blow the airplane up let's expound on that he was going to blow the airplane up or the bomb was going to be on the plane and they were going to do that two films in a row I believe that would have been a dud, just to expound on what we've talked about with Dan, uh, as the third ending that never got shot. The second ending obviously did get shot, the alternate ending. The third proposed one didn't get shot, where the briefcase bomb was going to be on the plane. That's the ending to two. So I'm kind of I'm glad that they didn't even go, go as far as to put that one down on tape to maybe use it or on film. Yeah, of these three endings, that would definitely be my least favorite. My my choice, if I was in John McTiernan's seat, is I would have picked the ending where he went to Hungary with the little rocket launcher. But obviously, you know, sometimes you have to answer the people paying the bills and the studio test screenings and stuff like that. And I obviously, and kind of like what you point out too, if they they saw this as a franchise that they wanted to keep going, then that's that's the the one they went with. You know, looking back on it, obviously, it, it turned out okay. Yes, he's in the phone booth. He's calling Holly and, uh, you know, kind of fade to black after he saved the day and the terrorists have been caught uh, there in Canada. Uh, All right. So as we as we love to do, what did the critics think immediately about this one when it was out Memorial Day weekend 25 years ago at the time we're taping here on the 25th anniversary? What did they think at the time? Real quick. Let's see. You know, we we talk about the show Siskel and Ebert. Roger Ebert gave it three stars. So he he was happy with it. 
Yeah, he he liked it. You think five stars is best for him? You know, they would do on the show two thumbs up or two or thumbs up or thumbs down. But for the Chicago Sun Times that he was writing for, he did the five star and he gave it three stars. So pretty good. He was uh, he was happy on that one, um, and uh, and there were a couple of others. Uh, I, I think that uh, that it maybe thought that hey, okay, this has run its course. We've now seen the same thing three times where Bruce Willis wins out over the terrorist. There's a big explosion. He's the hero. Rah rah. I get I get where that wears on some people when you get to the third one. That's like that. Right. Yeah. Owen Gleiberman from Entertainment Weekly at the time. I believe he is now with Variety. He um, he had mentioned it says like John McTiernan stages individual sequences with great finesse that don't add up to a taut um, dread ridden whole. So it sounds like he was kind of <laughs> yeah. So it sounds like he might have been more on the not so much side. Um, yeah. So as far as like you know, since we'll consider ourselves, even though we're sports guys, for for the purpose of this show of guys who like watching movies, um, if we want to do scale of one to ten, that kind of gives us a little more breathing. What room. would you um, give? What it? would you give Die Hard? All right. Avengers? So you, so you want me to go first? I. I am a I'm a fan of Willis. I'm a fan of the series, but this one is not nearly as gripping as the first two. Uh, I actually liked four better than this one. It's not that I dislike this one. I would give this one around a seven, like a six or a seven, maybe a six and a half. Uh, is that a, is that around what you would give this one out of ten? Die Hard with a Vengeance. Probably five and a half, six. I mean, it's an enjoyable movie, but it's not one of those where if I'm flipping through the channels and I see it on, I'm immediately flipping the remote over my shoulder. Like if Shawshank Redemption, right. the original Die Hard, Few Good Men, there's a few movies like that that are just kind of in my wheelhouse that like City Slickers with Billy Crystal, some of those. Like if, if those are on, I will kind of be locked in. And it's almost like visiting some old friends. This is one of those where if, if nothing else is really on, I'll watch it. And it's not like I dislike it, but it's funny. The sliding scale for me is my favorite is the first Die Hard. And then it literally goes two, three, four, and I think a good day to die hard is not a good film. It's my one of my <laughs> least favorite of these big yeah, budget they, series. They just went all out on all the special effects, bang bang, shoot them up, blow them up, and not a whole lot else on the story. Well, the best part about that side. is it was released on Valentine's Day. So the pun <laughs> on the title, it's a good day to die hard, is it's Valentine's Day, and it came out against like a Nicholas Sparks movie or something. That was my favorite part was the marketing bit. Once who, I actually saw it, I was yeah. kind of like, oh, great. who knew? Who knew that was going to be the high water mark? Uh, on yeah, that, I'd, I'd go for for the official. If people are keeping score at home, I'll give it a five. Okay, so a five from you, about a six and a half from me. Still, though, this one uh, worth it for the action alone. We anticipate that most of you, we believe, have seen it. Maybe you want to watch it again. Uh, it's it's on all the time. Like AMC loves showing this thing as an action movie on the on the weekends on cable. It's occasionally been on the run of one of the HBOs or the Cur- yeah, currently right now as we are film or, or recording this episode, it is on HBO on demand and HBO Max actually came out this week that we're doing it. Wow. So how about- go to hbo max you can find it so i want to ask you something before we wrap up i threw this out to dan but you know like i said i've had this conversation with multiple friends of mine over the years what did you think about maybe bruce willis had played joe hallenbeck in last boy scout and tom hardy in striking distance and almost forgot what john mcclain was like because this character is more like those than the original john mcclain and yeah about that theory and then we add uh 16 blocks right with most deaf and david morse uh, where again, he's a drunk, he's a drunk cop and a corrupt cop. It's like he's got this this role uh, basically cornered to himself in the '90s and the early 2000s. It is in a lot of ways the same role, where you're kind of the misfit, 
uh, cop that's got the flaws, that's got the drinking problem, and yet is thrust right into the middle of solve the case. And so, yes, uh, I, I think that, that it's, it's very true because uh, Last Boy Scout was, what, four years before this, three, four years before this, and Correct. It stri- was 91, striking distance, 93. 93. Was 95, so it's almost kind of like he graduated. So like every two years, he's playing the drunk <laughs> yeah. cop who's got to go save the day against the villain or is or is thrust into this. Um, so yes, uh, th- that was definitely this the This might period. not be the most popular opinion, TJ, but of those three, this is my least favorite. I like Last Boy Scout, then striking distance, then this one. I think I would... gradually, like I said, is, that character's kind of worn on me. And one thing I did want to mention, too, while we talked a lot about Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson being in this and Pulp Fiction together, don't forget they were also in Unbreakable in 2000 and Glass in 2019. Well, right, the, they, they uh, brought that Shyamalan. back. Right, with the, so, uh, the Marvel comic. So, by the way, for, for anyone keeping score at home on that, I didn't want anybody to think I'd forgotten. I love that. Uh, so, but I, I, I don't know that I would put uh, Last Boy Scout, he and Damon Wayans, in front of this one. Uh, striking distance, I like, and Sarah Jessica Parker, obviously, in that one. But I might take Die Hard with a Vengeance just because of Samuel L. Jackson. I love his performance in this movie, helping uh, Bruce Willis's John McClane. That might put it over the top. Tough call. You though, threw between... out the love word. I love Halle Berry, and she was in Last Boy Scout, so that puts it ahead for me. <laughs> but she wasn't in it for a long amount of time. When we do a future, oh, but we've she seen was it. in it long enough. She was she, in it long enough Allie as the stripper Berry and girlfriend. Last Boy right. Scout and Boomerang is about as good as it gets. Uh, okay, there we go. Great, on that. great, great acting, great performance by Halle Berry. Okay, so we have been reviewing Die Hard with a Vengeance. I kind of sense, I kind of smell though that you're on a Bruce Willis kick, and you brought up Striking Distance. Do we want to go? Do we want to go that direction with another Bruce Willis? Our next time out here coming up. You know. Um, since I don't want to do Hudson Hawker, the color of night, I think we should definitely, <laughs> well, and we've talked striking distance. We should kind of move forward and go revisit the, the, the Tom Hardy and the Dottillos and the, the Pittsburgh scene and see what's going on there with the three rivers and the river rescue. And so we'll kind of go back in time from 95 and the 25th anniversary to right before that, uh, where this is a lot like die hard where you're trying to figure out who is tormenting bruce willis in striking distance so i think that's going to be a next one on we've seen that sir i think we should do that yeah in fact i've i can probably make time to watch that tonight so we can have that out later in the week (laughs) all good on that one hey it's not like we have a whole lot else to do they are opening up uh, a lot of uh, aspects now of businesses and things that we can go and do but we've been cooped up inside watching movies we can put striking distance on one more time and put it on here on we've seen that a reminder, uh, by the way, however you found this show, through a social media link, uh, wherever you found it, that you can subscribe to the show, and we're going to have an entire catalog of shows uh, before it's all said and done. And we're, we're going to try to go like double feature every week for a while here. So again, subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn. Uh, if you find us through the TuneIn podcasting app, uh, app I know that they're uh, also uh, helping us promote Again, follow us at We've Seen That on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, on our social media. But if you found us through a link, subscribe, and you'll get the new one automatically to you. Uh, but, yeah, I think I think we go striking distance next. We'll watch that one. We'll talk more about that one our next time out. I'm looking forward to it on that. Are we pretty good here on the third Die Hard on Die Hard with a Vengeance, a 25th anniversary of a movie that made nearly $400 million when it was out in 1995? I'm good. I think we have 
have gotten over everything we talked about. And, you know, a lot of this show is basically what we talk about anyways on the phone. So this, this sounds a lot like some of our conversations we've had over the years when we've talked about this movie. Ab- absolutely. Um, all right. So we're good on this one. My thanks again to Dan Leach. Go find him. 97.1 The Ticket in Detroit. He's on a lot of weeknights right now talking sports without the games. we got the games coming up soon. Uh, a lot of sports that's going to be resuming, we hope. Everybody stay safe with the coronavirus, uh, COVID-19 that's been out there, and we're starting to open things up, uh, practice social distancing, the good uh, hygiene, et cetera, and we will get through this as the as the summer rolls on, June turns to July, July to August, et cetera, et cetera. For now, no matter what time that you're hearing us or when you're hearing us, we're glad that you found us here on We've Seen That. Partner, enjoyed it. Uh, look forward to talking another Bruce Willis movie our next time out. You bet. Thanks, TJ. Thanks, everybody. There is the famous Jay. Follow him at the famous Jay on Twitter, Jay Betzel. I am merely TJ Reeves. Follow the show at We've Seen That on social media, Instagram. We've Seen That is the Facebook page. Go look up the alternate ending on Die Hard with a Vengeance 2 through our social media as well. Uh, That will do it as we talk Bruce Willis, Samuel L. Jackson running around trying to keep from getting killed by Jeremy Irons on uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. That's this edition of We've Seen That. We're done for now. Bye.